Chapter 12, Part 1 of The Italian. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Italian by Anne Radcliffe. Read by Gary Day. Chapter 12, Part 1. That lawn conceals her beauty. As the thin cloud, just silvered by the rays, the trembling moon, Think ye tis shrouded from the curious eye? Wrapped in Olivia's veil, Elena descended to the music-room, and mingled with the nuns who were assembled within the grate. Among the monks and pilgrims without it were some strangers in the usual dress of the country, but she did not perceive any person who resembled Vivaldi, and she considered that, if he were present, he would not venture to discover himself while her nun's veil concealed her as effectually from him as from the lady abbess it would be necessary therefore to seek an opportunity of withdrawing it for a moment at the grate an expedient which must certainly expose her to the notice of strangers on the entrance of the lady abbess elena's fear of observation rendered her insensible to every other consideration she fancied that the eyes of the superior were particularly directed upon herself. The veil seemed an insufficient protection from their penetrating glances, and she almost sunk with the terror of instant discovery. The abbess, however, passed on, and having conversed for a few moments with the padre abate, and some visitors of distinction, took her chair and the performance immediately opened with one of those solemn and impressive airs which the Italian nuns know how to give with so much taste and sweetness. It rescued even Elena for a moment from a sense of danger, and she resigned herself to the surrounding scene, of which the coupe d'oeil was striking and grand. In a vaulted apartment of considerable extent, lighted by innumerable tapers, and where even the ornaments, though pompous, partook of the solemn character of the institution, were assembled about fifty nuns, who, in the interesting habit of their order, appeared with graceful plainness. The delicacy of the air, and their beauty, softened by the lawn that thinly veiled it, were contrasted by the severe majesty of the Lady Abbess, who, seated on an elevated chair, apart from the audience, seemed the empress of the scene, and by the venerable figures of the father Abate, and his attendant monks, who were arranged without that screen of wirework, extending the whole breadth of the apartment which is called the Great. Near the Holy Father were placed the strangers of distinction, dressed in the splendid Neapolitan habit, whose gay colouring and airy elegance opposed well with the dark drapery of the ecclesiastics their plumed hats, lostily overtopping the half-cowled heads and grey locks of the monks. Nor was the contrast of countenance less striking. The grave, the austere, the solemn, and the gloomy, intermingling with the light, the blooming, and the debonair, expressed all the various tempers that render life a blessing or a burden, and, as with the spell of magic, transformed this world into a transient paradise or purgatory. In the background of the picture stood some pilgrims, with looks less joyous and more demure than they had worn on the road the preceding day, and among them were some inferior brothers and attendants of the convent. 
To this part of the chamber Elena frequently directed her attention, but she did not distinguish Vivaldi, and though she had taken a station near the grate, she had not courage indecorously to withdraw her veil before so many strangers, and thus, even if he were in the apartment, it was not probable that he would venture to come forward. The concert concluded without his having been discovered by Elena, and she withdrew to the apartment where the collation was spread, and where the abbess and her guests soon after appeared. Presently she observed a stranger in a pilgrim's habit, station himself near the grate. His face was partly muffled by his cloak, and he seemed to be a spectator rather than the partaker of the feast. Elena, who understood this to be Vivaldi, was watchful for an opportunity of approaching, unseen by the abbess, the place where he had fixed himself. Engaged in conversation with the ladies around her, the superior soon favoured Elena's wish, who, having reached the grate, ventured to lift her veil for one instant. The stranger, letting his cloak fall, thanked her with his eyes for her condescension, and she perceived that he was not Vivaldi. Shocked at the interpretation which might be given to a conduct apparently so improper, as much as by the disappointment which Vivaldi's absence occasioned, she was hastily retiring when another stranger approached with quick steps, whom she instantly knew, by the grace and spirit of his air, to be Vivaldi but, determined not to expose herself a second time to the possibility of a mistake, she awaited for some further signal of his identity before she discovered herself. His eyes were fixed upon her in earnest attention for some moments, before he drew aside the cloak from his face, but he soon did so, and it was Vivaldi himself. Elena, perceiving that she was known, did not raise her veil but advanced a few steps towards the grate. Vivaldi there deposited a small folded paper, and before she could venture to deliver her own billet, he had retired among the crowd. As she stepped forward to secure his letter, she observed a nun hastily approached the spot where he had laid it, and she paused. The garment of the reluctant wasted it from the place where it had been partly concealed and when Elena perceived the nun's foot rest upon the paper, she with difficulty disguised her apprehensions. A friar who, from without the grate, addressed the sister, seemed with much earnestness, yet with a certain air of secrecy, communicating some important intelligence. The fears of Elena suggested that he had observed the action of Vivaldi, and was making known his suspicions and she expected every instant to see the nun lift up the paper and deliver it to the abbess. From this immediate apprehension, however, she was released when the sister pushed it gently aside without examination, a circumstance that not less surprised than relieved her. But when the conference broke up, and the friar, hastily retreating from the crowd, disappeared from the apartment, and the nun approached and whispered the superior, all her terrors were renewed. She scarcely doubted that Vivaldi was detected, and that his letter was designedly left where it had been deposited, for the purposes of alluring her to betray herself. Trembling, dismayed, and almost sinking with apprehension, she watched the countenance of the abbess while the nun addressed her, 
and thought she read her own fate in the frown that appeared there. Whatever might be the intentions or the directions of the superior, no active measure was at present employed. The recluse, having received an answer, retired quietly among the sisters, and the abbess resumed her usual manner. Helena, however, supposing she was now observed, did not dare to seize the paper, though she believed it contained momentous information, and feared that the time was now escaping which might facilitate her deliverance. Whenever she ventured to look around, the eyes of the abbess seemed pointed upon her, and she judged from the position of the nun, for the veil concealed her face, that she was also vigilantly regarding her. Above an hour had elapsed in this state of anxious suspense, when the collation concluded and the assembly broke up, during the general bustle of which Helena ventured to the grate and secured the paper. As she concealed it in her robe, she scarcely dared to inquire by a hasty glance whether she had been observed, and would have withdrawn immediately to examine the contents, had she not perceived at the same instant the abbess quitting the apartment. On looking round for the nun, Helena discovered that she was gone. Helena followed distantly in the abbess's train, and as she drew nearer to Olivia, gave a signal, and passed on to her cell. There, once more alone, and having secured the door, she sat down to read Vivaldi's billet, trying to command her impatience, and to understand the lines over which her sight rapidly moved, when in the eagerness of turning over the paper, the lamp dropped from her trembling hand and expired. Her distress now nearly reached despair. To go forth into the convent for a light was utterly impracticable, since it would betray that she was no longer a prisoner, and not only would Olivia suffer from a discovery of the indulgence she had granted, but she herself would be immediately confined. Her only hope rested upon Olivia's arrival before it might be too late to practice the instructions of Vivaldi, if indeed they were still practicable. She listened with intense solicitude for an approaching footstep, while she yet held, ignorant of its contents, the billet that probably would decide her fate. A thousand times she turned about the eventful paper, endeavoured to trace the lines with her fingers, and to guess their import, thus enveloped in mystery. While she experienced all the various torture that the consciousness of having in her very hand the information, on a timely knowledge of which her life perhaps depended, without being able to understand it, could inflict. Presently she heard advancing steps, and a light gleamed from the passage, before she considered they might be some other than Olivia's, and that it was prudent to conceal the billet she held. The consideration, however, came too late to be acted upon, for, before the rustling paper was disposed of, a person entered the cell, and Helena beheld her friend, pale, trembling, and silent, she took the lamp from the nun, and eagerly running over Vivaldi's note, learned that at the time it was written, Brother Geronimo was in waiting without the gate of the nun's garden, where Vivaldi designed to join him immediately, and conduct her by a private way beyond the walls. He added that horses were stationed at the foot of the mountain, to convey her wherever she should judge proper, and conjured her to be expeditious. Since other circumstances beside the universal engagement of the recluses were at that moment particularly favourable to an escape. Helena, desponding and appalled, gave the paper to Olivier, 
requesting that she would read it hastily and advise her how to act. It was an hour and a half since Vivaldi had said that success depended upon expedition, and that he had probably watched at the appointed place in such an interval how many circumstances might have occurred to destroy every possibility of a retreat, which it was certain the engagement of the abbess and the sisters no longer favoured. The generous Olivier, having read the billet, partook of all her young friend's distress, and was as willing as Elena was anxious to dare every danger for the chance of obtaining deliverance. Elena could feel gratitude for such goodness even at this moment of agonising apprehension. After a pause of deep consideration, Olivia said, In every avenue of the convent we are now liable to meet some of the nuns, but my veil, though thin, has hitherto protected you, and we must hope it may still assist your purpose. It will be necessary, however, to pass through the refectory, where such of the sisters as did not partake of the collation are assembled at supper, and will remain so till the first matin calls them to the chapel. If we wait till then, I fear it will be to no purpose to go at all. Elena's fears perfectly agreed with those of Olivia, and entreating that another moment might not be lost in hesitation, and that she would lead the way to the nun's garden, they quitted the cell together. Several of the sisters passed them as they descended to the refectory, but without particularly noticing Elena, who, as she drew near that alarming apartment, wrapped her veil closer, and leaned with heavier pressure upon the arm of her faithful friend. At the door they were met by the abbess, who had been overlooking the nuns assembled at supper, and missing Olivia had inquired for her. Elena shrunk back to elude observation, and to let the superior pass, but Olivia was obliged to answer to the summons. Having, however, unveiled herself, she was permitted to proceed, and Elena, who had mingled with the crowd that surrounded the abbess, and thus escaped detection, followed Olivia with faltering steps through the refectory. The nuns were luckily too much engaged by the entertainment at this moment to look around, and the fugitive reached, unsuspected, an opposite door. In the hall to which they descended, the adventurers were frequently crossed by servants, bearing dishes from the refectory to the kitchen, and at the very moment when they were opening their door that led into the garden, a sister, who had observed them, demanded whether they had yet heard the matin bell since they were going towards the chapel. Terrified at this critical interruption, Elena pressed Olivia's arm, in signal of silence, and was hastening forward, when the latter, more prudent, paused and calmly answering the question, was then suffered to proceed. As they crossed the garden towards the gate, Elena's anxiety left Vivaldi should have been compelled to leave it, increased so much that she had scarcely power to proceed. Oh, if my strength should fail before I reach it, she said softly to Olivier, or if I should reach it too late. Olivier tried to cheer her, and pointed out the gate on which the moonlight fell. At the end of this walk only, said Olivier, see where the shadows of the trees open is our goal. Encouraged by the view of it, Elena fled with lighter steps along the alley, but the gate seemed to mock her approach, and to retreat before her. Fatigue overtook her in this long alley, before she could overtake the spot so anxiously fought, and breathless and exhausted, 
she was once more compelled to stop, and once more, in the agony of terror, exclaimed, Oh, if my strength should fail before I reach it! Oh, if I should drop even while it is in my view! The pause of a moment enabled her to proceed, and she stopped not again till she arrived at the gate, when Olivier suggested the prudence of ascertaining who was without, and of receiving an answer to the signal which Vivaldi had proposed, before they ventured to make themselves known. She then struck upon the wood, and in an anxious pause that followed, whispering voices were distinctly heard from without, but no signal spoke in reply to the nuns. "'We are betrayed!' said Elena softly. "'But I will know the worst at once.' And she repeated the signal, when, to her unspeakable joy, it was answered by three smart raps upon the gate. Olivia, more distrustful, would have checked the sudden hope of her friend, till some further proof had appeared, that it was Vivaldi who waited without. But her precaution came too late. A key was already grated in the lock. The door opened, and two persons muscled in their garments appeared at it. Elena was hastily retreating, when a well-known voice recalled her, and she perceived by the rays of a half-hooded lamp which Geronimo held, Vivaldi. "'Oh, heavens!' he exclaimed, in a voice tremulous with joy, as he took her hand. "'Is it possible that you are again my own? "'If you could but know what I have suffered during this last hour!' Then, observing Olivier, he drew back, till Elena expressed her deep sense of obligation to the nun. "'We have no time to lose,' said Geronimo sullenly. "'We have stayed too long already, as you will find, perhaps.' "'Farewell,' dear Elena," said Olivia. "'May the protection of heaven never leave you.' The fears of Elena now gave way to affectionate sorrow, as, weeping on the bosom of the nun, she said, "'Farewell, oh, farewell, my dear, my tender friend. I must never, never see you more, but I shall always love you, and you have promised that I shall hear from you. Remember the convent della Pieta. You should have settled this matter within,' said Geronimo. We have been here these two hours already. Ah, Elena, said Vivaldi, as he gently disengaged her from the nun, do I then hold only the second place in your heart? Elena, as she dismissed her tears, replied with a smile more eloquent than words, and when she had again and again bade adieu to Olivia, she gave him her hand and quitted the gate. It is moonlight, observed Vivaldi to Geronimo. Your lamp is useless and may betray us. It will be necessary in the church, replied Geronimo, and in some circuitous avenues we must pass, for I dare not lead you out through the great gates, signor, as you well know. Lead on, then, replied Vivaldi, and they reached one of the cypress walks that extended to the church. But before they entered it, Elena paused and looked back to the garden gate, that she might see Olivia once again. The nun was still there, and Elena perceived her faintly in the moonlight, waving her hand in signal of a last adieu. Elena's heart was full. She wept and lingered and returned the signal, till the gentle violence of Vivaldi withdrew her from the spot. "'I envy your friend those tears,' said he, "'and I feel jealous of the tenderness that excites them. Weep no more, my Elena.' "'If you knew her worth,' replied Elena, "'and the obligations I owe her,' Her voice was lost in sighs, 
and Vivaldi only pressed her hand in silence. As they traversed the gloomy walk that led to the church, Vivaldi said, Are you certain, father, that not any of the brothers are doing penance in the shrines in our way? Doing penance on a festival, signor? They are more likely by this time to be taking down the ornaments. That would be equally unfortunate for us, said Vivaldi. Cannot we avoid the church, father? Geronimo assured him that this was impossible, and they immediately entered one of its lonely aisles, where he unhooded the lamp, for the tapers which had given splendour at an earlier hour to the numerous shrines had expired, except those at the high altar, which were so remote that their rays faded into twilight long before they reached the part of the church where the fugitives passed. Here and there, indeed, a dying lamp shot a tremulous gleam upon the shrine below, and vanished again, serving to mark the distances in the long perspective of arches, rather than to enlighten the gloomy solitude, but no found, not even of a whisper, stole along the pavement. They crossed to a side door communicating with the court, and with the rock which enshrined the image of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. There the sudden glare of tapers issuing from the cave alarmed the fugitives, who had begun to retreat, when Geronimo, stepping forward to examine the place, assured them that there was no symptom of any person being within, and that lights burned day and night around the shrine. Revived by this explanation, they followed into the cave, where their conductor opened a part of the wirework enclosing the saint, and led them to the extremity of the vault, sunk deep within which appeared a small door. While Elena trembled with apprehension, Geronimo applied a key, and they perceived beyond the door a narrow passage winding away into the rock. The monk was leading on, but Vivaldi, who had the suspicions of Elena, paused at the entrance, and demanded whither he was conducting them. "'To the place of your destination,' replied the brother, in a hollow voice. An answer which alarmed Elena, and did not satisfy Vivaldi. "'I have given myself to your guidance,' he said, "'and have confided to you what is dearer to me than existence. "'Your life.' pointing to the short sword concealed beneath his pilgrim's vest. "'Your life may rely upon my word, shall answer for your treachery. If this purpose is evil, pause a moment and repent, or you shall not quit this passage alive.' "'Do you menace me?' replied the brother, his countenance darkening. "'Of what service would be my death to you? Do you not know that every brother in the convent would rise to avenge it?' I know only that I will make sure of one traitor if there be one, said Vivaldi, and defend this lady against your host of monks, and, since you also know this, proceed accordingly. At this instant it occurring to Elena that the passage in question probably led to the prison chamber, which Olivia had described as situated within some deep recess of the convent, and that Geronimo had certainly betrayed them, she refused to go further. "'If your purpose is honest,' said she, "'why do you not conduct us through some direct gate of the convent? "'Why are we brought into these subterraneous labyrinths?' "'There is no direct gate but that of the portal,' Geronimo replied, "'and this is the only other avenue leading beyond the walls.' "'And why can we not go out through the portal?' Vivaldi asked. 
because it is beset with pilgrims and lay brothers, replied Geronimo, and though you might pass them safely enough, what is to become of the lady? But all this you knew before, Signor, and was willing enough to trust me then. The passage we are entering opens upon the cliffs at some distance. I have run hazard enough already, and I will waste no more time. So if you do not choose to go forward, I will leave you, and you may act as you please. He concluded with a laugh of derision, and was relocking the door, when Vivaldi, alarmed for the probable consequence of his resentment, and somewhat reassured by the indifference he discovered as to their pursuing the avenue or not, endeavoured to appease him, as well as to encourage Elena, and he succeeded in both. As he followed in silence through the gloomy passage, his doubts were, however, not so wholly vanquished, but that he prepared for attack, and while he supported Elena with one hand, he held his sword in the other. The avenue was of considerable length, and before they reached its extremity, they heard music from a distance winding along the rocks. Hark! cried Elena. Whence come those sounds? Listen! From the cave we have left, replied Geronimo. And it is midnight by that. It is the last chant of the pilgrims at the shrine of Our Lady. Make haste, Signor. I shall be called for. The fugitives now perceived that all retreat was cut off, and that if they had lingered only a few moments longer in the cave, then they should have been surprised by those devotees, one of whom, however, it appeared possible might wander into this avenue, and still interrupt their escape. When Vivaldi had told his apprehensions, Geronimo, with an arch sneer, affirmed there was no danger of that. For the passage, he added, is known only to the brothers of the convent. Vivaldi's doubts vanished when he further understood that the avenue led only from the cliffs without to the cave, and was used for the purpose of conveying secretly to the shrine such articles as were judged necessary to excite the superstitious wonders of the devotees. While he proceeded in thoughtful silence, a distant chime sounded hollowly through the chambers of the rock. The matin bell strikes, said Geronimo, in seeming alarm. I am summoned. Signora, quicken your steps. An unnecessary request, for Elena already passed with her utmost speed, and she now rejoiced on perceiving a door in the remote winding of the passage, which she believed would emancipate her from the convent. But as she advanced, the avenue appeared extending beyond it, and the door which stood a little open allowed her a glimpse of a chamber in the cliff, duskily lighted. Vivaldi, alarmed by the light, inquired, when he had passed, whether any person was in the chamber, and received an equivocal answer from Geronimo, who, however, soon after pointed to an arched gate that terminated the avenue. They proceeded with lighter steps, for hope now cheered their hearts, and on reaching the gate all apprehension vanished. Geronimo gave the lamp to Vivaldi, while he began to unbar and unlock the door, and Vivaldi had prepared to reward the brother for his fidelity, before they perceived that the door refused to yield. A dreadful imagination seized on Vivaldi. Geronimo, turning round, coolly said, I fear we are betrayed. The second lock is shot. I have only the key of the first. We are betrayed, said Vivaldi in a resolute tone, but do not suppose 
that your dissimulation conceals you. I understand by whom we are betrayed. Recollect my late assertion, and consider once more whether it is your interest to intercept us. End of chapter 12, part 1